the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us, all of our channels. Um, we have pushed out the info to all our social media places. So that includes WhatsApp and Instagram and Facebook. So we are expecting an inflow of Jesus lovers in a few moments as we get this party going. Hallelujah. Okay, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time today. I'm just going to jump right in. Let me make sure we have our backdrop going. And let me also make sure that um, we are live on Facebook. Yes, we are. That's good. All right. So let me turn my camera on. We can get this flow going. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. I think we're good. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Not sure why the video is a little delayed there. There we go. That's more like it. Yeah. Okay. I know the reason why. Anyways, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Francis Seabor Jr. I'm a member of the Cavadulan community. And on behalf of Pastor Francis Seabor, I want to say welcome to Word for Now. We are continuing our journey. Huh. Gonna not use that one. <laughs> there we go. Our journey. Okay. That's the reason why. We're continuing our journey. Let me see if I can pull up the right screen here. There we go. This is word for now. Here's our beautiful flyer, letting y'all know that we're out of this world, but we have the word for now. And it's more about the imminent, um, the speakings of God concerning the earth, kind of like what the spirit is saying to the churches. And we have been on this trajectory, trajectory, huh. what are these words, man? Anyways, <laughs> um, um, flowing from our recently concluded um, Watchmen Prophetic Conference. And we have, even that was um, kind of, um, well, I see an overflow from our ecosystems of the age to come, amen. Um, that was our conference from last year, um, last year, our last conference before the Watchmen, <laughs> excuse me, that was very incorrect. And um, that was powerful, right? And um, during our Watchmen conference, we got like fresh instructions for kind of like a new um season that has put or set us on or we have entered into amen and um almost everything I, I dare say every single thing we're going to be doing over the next few years will be in response to the instructions that were received during this window of time hallelujah and um all right so that's basically it let me 
get this party going. So um, thank you so much for joining us, beloved. Um, my name is Francis again, and um, I want to give a window, um, a little time window here for questions, um, even as we set ourselves up for what the Lord has for us today. And I know the Lord has something for us today um, because of what happened yesterday during um, open book. If you were present, I'm, I'm going to make some adjustments to this. I can't, I don't think this is, it's wise to let that happen. Should that be a delay there? I'm wondering why I should have a delay. I'm just gonna not bother or let that get in the way, but um, I can see there's a little bit of delay and it's because I'm going through a, a pass through. Um, my video feed is coming through um, the pass through here, but anyways, um, I want to give room for questions. If anyone does not ask those questions, hallelujah. But um, if no questions um, are present, then we could just jump right in. Okay, so um, I will still give time though. So feel very comfortable to start typing them away or as words are being said, feel very comfortable to jump in with your questions. So we have been looking at the seven feasts of Israel, right? No, that is, oh, that is open book, my bad. I usually, there we go. This is a better way of communicating it. <laughs> the seven feasts of Israel clicked on the wrong thing. Okay. And um, we have the spring feast, which we discussed. We spent, I think, two or three different um, word for now sessions um, going over that. Then for Pentecost, we spent, I think, almost three sessions detailing Pentecost and really getting in and digging deep. Amen. And um, it was it was a fun blast. But now we are in the fall feasts. And um, we started with the fall feasts um, on Monday, explaining the Feast of Trumpets. And um, dare I say, it was a little difficult, like breaking in, just because it's so difficult to describe things beyond Pentecost, because Pentecost is a little bit more easily defined in scriptures. Um, but what the Lord used to help me was, it was the, um, the Feast of Trumpets is the day of shouting, amen? Um, I guess a reference I could pull out here that I think will be very um, helpful um, is a reference from Zechariah chapter four. Let me just open that portion of scripture real quick. Zechariah chapter four. Huh. Zechariah chapter four from verse seven. Maybe we can start from verse six. Um, let's look at this. Um, this scripture might help us out. He hasn't spoke to me saying, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Maybe I should start from verse five. Hmm. Verse four. Verse three. <laughs> okay, verse one. Let's go from verse one, okay? So the angel which talked to me again woke me up as a man who was awakened out of his sleep. Now, whenever you see awakening in the Bible, that is almost a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. You see, when the tabernacle was being erected, um, a furniture item that was referenced as the awakening, amen, um is the menorah the seven golden candlestick which we've discussed already represented the presence of the holy spirit the manifest presence of the spirits of the lord specifically amen and so whenever you hear about awakening is when the lord alone is speaking hallelujah so when he says here that he was awakened out of his sleep amen um there's so many things in there you know because even the design of the menorah i have a menorah right here right the design of the menorah from um the book of Exodus, if you study very carefully, it's meant to be designed like an almond tree. 
and each of these things are meant to represent almond branches. So basically this was an almond tree, but it's representative exclusively to point out seven operations of the spirits of God. This is meant to be an outflow um, from God's word sown into our hearts. When it flows out, it springs up as an almond tree. That first of all, comes about the spirits of the Lord, but then over time it breaks up into, as the Holy Spirit, are so the spirits in the word, but then breaks out into the operations of the spirit of the Lord, which are seven in number, and all of them together, they form that operation referred to as the finger of God, right? Hallelujah. So um, I always have that um, during our word for now sessions, you see a menorah somewhere in the background representing that the spirit is coming out of the word. Hallelujah. So um, um, let me see here. Um, the Hebrew word for almond is the Hebrew word for, or synonymous, it's a word for almond and the Hebrew word for waking up are, they sound almost exactly the same. I mean, dare I say the same. Um, I could show you something from Jeremiah chapter one, when Jeremiah sees an almond branch, but I'm not going to waste, I'm, I don't want to waste time, I'm going to go to that right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. So what do you see? He said I, So when the Lord woke him up, he said, what do you see? Isn't that funny? I'm talking about Jeremiah. And here we have a Jeremiah-like <laughs> encounter. Son of man, what do you see? And he said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes, the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. So basically you're seeing a menorah, but instead of branches like this, you're seeing the menorah as a bowl, okay? And this is, so basically it's like each of these things here are little bowls, all right, that can, um, that hold the, um, the olive oil that's used to um, fuel the, um, the, the, each of the lights on this thing. Basically each of these things, there's candles here, not candles per se, but these are candlesticks or lampstands. On each of these things were seven fires that were, you know, blazing. All of these were lit by olive oil, amen, that was pressed out, amen, and used to keep these things burning. But now you're seeing in this vision, it's almost like the entire thing is a bowl, but then there's seven pipes coming out of the bowl by functionality, not by form, but they use the form to speak of the functionality so that when you see a different form, but the same functionality, you can tell they're one and the same, right? So basically what's happening here is that instead of having seven different bowls, for each of the seven lamps, you have one bowl, but each of the seven fires is coming out from that one bowl. This is very important, right? It speaks about even the seven branches, right? They're all coming out from the same stem of the spirits of the Lord. Amen. But the critical thing that he's pointing out here is that you have two pipes, right? Um, um, let me see here. Lamp. Okay. So here is the menorah right here in the middle. So you have these two, and these two olive trees, right? Their oil is flowing into that bowl, okay? So normally you'd have the olive oil right there. The network is breaking. I am so sorry. 
apologies for a fractured network. Um, I have been experienced, we have been having a fight with Airtel over the last few days. And I don't know why, um, I'm not sure what's up, but I've had what I refer to as a hitch-free connection um, for the past few months. Please fix your internet. Wow, that is scary. Hmm. Give me one second.
Hello, can anyone hear me now? Am I audible? Okay, thank you. Okay, that's encouraging. Okay, let's see if we can um, get this flowing the way it should. Hallelujah. Okay, apologies, everyone. I am so sorry. Um, man, that is so disappointing. I need to let me do something. Just make sure. Let me just make sure the current source right now is powered as it should be. And there's no room for any funny business. Um, just because I can tell like these. Uh, it's as well. Okay. We connect this to power here. And I think we should be good to go. Electricity backed up and charging. Beautiful. Awesome. All right. Um, I tried changing carriers today. I spent two hours in the off in um, these. I don't see the carrier's name because I don't want to defame anyone, but um, they have just been painful and um, they won't let me go. I'm trying to switch to a different carrier. They just won't let me go. I'm trying to change my, move my number to a different carrier because they've been horrible. Yesterday's meeting was painful, but um, anyways, my yesterday meeting was amazing, but my, the internet hiccups were so painful, but whatever. Anyways, all clear now. Thank you, sir. All right, cool. So we're good to go. So you have the two olive trees pouring their oil into the candlestick. Okay, we got that. So moving right along, um, I answered and he spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these? And he said, um, no, don't you know what these are? He said, um, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts, who art you, O great mountain? For Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. Now, I, I, this, this is actually the phrase that brought me here. That phrase, it says shoutings of grace, grace to it. The Bible made reference to shoutings first, and then grace was then emphasized. It was said twice. That means the word grace was shouted, okay? This is what happens in the Feast of Trumpets, amen? And the fruit of that is that you find the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ abounding in your heart. This is beyond you stopping bad habits. This is beyond you um, overcoming a specific sin in your life. This is about a grand breakthrough, amen, into the life of God. This is when you're no longer seeing through a glass dimly, amen, but you're coming into the then that Paul spoke of, which is face to face. In that place, amen, you are experiencing the new creation estate, amen, as organically as you did when you were in the world, amen. You could even try, you'd have to work really hard to disobey God. Um, and I mean that sincerely. There will be times of temptation where the enemy will come against people who come into this estate. That's the truth. But at, aside from those times of temptation, you are enjoying, you are just enjoying your Christian life. Amen. It's a festival that bleeds in. Basically, that period of time, amen, from trumpets to tabernacles, they're called the days of awe. It's a period of time when there was just um, an overall coating, amen, of the presence of God over Israel. There's just so much glory. Amen. And it's because of what's to come. Now, the reason why I'm saying all these things, amen, is because this portion of scripture here has to do with the building of the temple of God, amen? And all of these things that are pointed at here, the olive trees, the menorah, the candlestick in the middle, okay? They are also furniture items in the temple. The Bible makes reference to the Solomon of um, the temple of Solomon, the Solomon of the temple, the, Solomon, the temple of Solomon having two cherubim next to the Ark of the Covenant. And the two cherubim, they were made up of olive trees overlaid with gold. So that's what these two olive trees here signify, right? Amen. The tabernacle structure. I'm going to lay this in as close to the previous location as possible. There we go. Use this to cover up some of the cable work I have going on with my computer. We don't, we don't need to see any of that. So 
really distract you from any of that, sorry. So moving on in that portion of scripture, um, before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall finish it. And you shall know the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Amen. Who has despised the day of small things? Um, um, for they shall rejoice and shall see the plumbing in the hand of Zerubbabel with these seven. These are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm thinking, I believe that's the end of what I wanted to capture here. Um, yes. Okay. Okay. The other verse I'm looking for is Zechariah 3 verse 9. Behold, the stone I've laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the engraving thereof, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Amen. Okay. So essentially that portion of scripture we just looked at, amen. And everything that we're, we're talking about here, amen, they are pointing to the tabernacle, amen. Let me see if I can get the menorah in the visible spot there. I think that's fine, whatever, amen. They're pointing to the building of the tabernacle. And um, I would like to say that the book of Revelation is primarily concerned with the um, erection of the tabernacle of God, the original tabernacle of God, not the structure that you see with Moses that was an illustration, amen. Not even God's initial intent with Israel captured in Exodus 19 and 20, where God wanted to make them a, a kingdom of priests, amen, and a holy nation. Beyond all of that, the building of the tabernacle of God. You know, understanding what I'm saying, um, I might, I might want to <laughs> tabernacle here for a while. <laughs> um, when God said, let's make man in our image and after our likeness, amen, because of the form that God has, there is a, there's a few verses here I want us to look at. Let me see if I can pull these out. Man, I am so sorry, everyone, um, about the the issues with the connection and everything. I don't even know if anything I said in the beginning was heard. I really hope it was, but anyways, um, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 is where we're going to start off this party. Deuteronomy 6 from verse 4, and it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now this is foundational. We have only one God. We are not polytheists. Amen. God has many operations, but he is one God. Now, why is this important? Because irrespective of whatever operation you have in God, there needs to be a firm understanding that until you have um, become like Jesus fully, amen, there is still, even after going like Jesus, there's still the journey still continues anyways, but like there is still that journey of becoming, amen? Because I say this because your becoming like Jesus is, you know, is, um, respective or relative to the age that you're in. There is a way Jesus Christ looks in every age. In this present age, the form that we are pushing for right now is the form that Jesus Christ has in this age, amen? There is what Jesus Christ is gonna look like in the next age. And when we enter the next age, those people that look like him, that finish looking like him in this age, they are going to be on that journey of looking like him in the next age. And then we go on and then on and then on and then on, right? The blueprint of the future ages is Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And um, um, so all that said, um, we have one God. Now, it is very important that we understand something about who this God is. Our God, amen, has a form that is very difficult to describe 
on this side of the throne. And I say this side of the throne because the throne of God is almost like a barrier. I don't see a barrier, like a door to God's world. It's like God has his world and then he created creation as this orb, for example. Then there is a portal he goes through to interact with that world, right? And that portal is his throne, amen? Now, God's desire is to interact with that world, not through the throne, but through living entities that look exactly like him. But then comes the issue with looking exactly like God because there is one God and God can only exist as one. This is very important. God's image and likeness, amen, demands that whoever or whatever is taken upon the image and likeness of God must experience God's union, amen? God's union with himself. Our God is one Lord. So if I come into the image and likeness of God, what is happening to me is that I am actually losing whatever image and likeness I had before, amen? And because of that, I find myself being dissolved into the form of God described in Philippians chapter two, amen? Jesus Christ made reference to this in John 17 when he said, Father, give, you know, return to me the glory I had with you before the world began, amen? And another prayer in John 17 where he, he prayed that we would come into this form as well, amen? Where he said, I in you and you, we in you and us and I in God, and us in you and on and on that we may be made perfect in one amen that perfection in one speaks about what we're seeing here in um, deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. so if anyone is coming into the image and likeness of god simply what is happening that they must come into union with god amen where you're basically taking up upon yourself amen functionalities of god amen and then god is able to express the functionalities through you amen you come into union with God, seamless union with God. Amen. So for this reason, Genesis 1, 26, God's desire to create man in his image after his likeness. Amen. God's desire to give birth to a family. If you read Genesis chapter 5, you see that um, Adam gave birth to Seth and Seth was in his image and likeness. That was meant to be an allusion to what God said in Genesis 1, 26, letting you know that just as Adam gave birth to Seth and Seth was in his image and likeness, God wanted Adam to come into his image and likeness as well. Amen. And so it was God's desire, God's desire for us to become his sons. And I use sons in the Greek as we have, amen. Um, if you plug that in what I just said before, that means that when God gives birth to a son, essentially God is bringing someone into himself. Does that make sense? So for example, if God gives birth to you, okay, okay. When God has finished giving birth to you, you do not have a form that exists separate from God. That is a consequence of God giving birth to you. From that point onward, you function as God. God functions as you. And there is no not God that has to do with you. And there is no not you that has to do with God. Amen. This is the union that we've come into in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. But what, what, what the term that we use to capture that, all right, the, the, the best, um, the, the best way that this desire of God can be fully achieved, amen, is by something called the priesthood, which is illustrated very carefully in the tabernacle, amen? So our priesthood as New Testament saints, amen, basically what you see in Genesis 1, 26, with God saying, let us live inside of humanity, or let us become one with humanity, or let humanity live inside of us. I hope everything I'm saying is, is can, can be understood. Can we say there was never a you, all there is is God, beautiful, amen? This is what God wants, where there is no you anymore, but it is only God, and I'm gonna say it like this also, and there is now no <laughs> God without you, 
Amen. We are now swimming inside of God. Amen. However God feels, we feel. Amen. However we feel, God feels. Amen. People are afraid of this because they think to themselves that we will, you know, we would then become God cannot be subordinate to us. Amen. But the truth is that, amen, as you come into the image and likeness of God's submission is the framework of how you live out things. That is the civilization. That is the protocol. That is the way you do things. So there's no need to be afraid about usurping authority over God. You, any desire to do that brings you out of the image and likeness of God. This is why God was afraid of sharing his throne. Because for you to sit on his throne, you have to be like him. And if you're going to be like him, you will be submissive to his laws. So God is not afraid. It's almost like there is no way in him we live, we move and have our being. Yes. It's like there is no way you can look like God and look like Satan at the same time. Amen. What we have in our mind is that we think we can sit. We think that being like God is sitting on a chair. Amen. And when you sit on that chair, you have all power and all glory. And then now you, you, you have to be submitting to God and bowing down. No, 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 no. If you're sitting on that chair, you must be like God. Amen. If you look like God, you must be on that chair also. And the fruit of what being on that chair means, what looking like God means is that you have his character and his nature. Papa talks about this a lot, right? It's not something that you, you act once. You don't demo God once. And then when you finish, you say, okay, I've done God now. Give me that throne. That's not what happens. You, you change, right? There is a morphing, a transformation process. And who you were before no longer exists, right? Second Corinthians 5, 17, amen? Hallelujah. Everything about you is gone. And all things are now of God. Very crucial. But that's not the only thing. If you study the scriptures very carefully, we discover that things in God, amen, are now us. We now become God, amen? Now, when I say we now become, become God, well, I'm not saying here that we are going to receive worship, amen? We are not called to the entities that receive worship, amen? Any creature that tries to receive worship, amen, that by identity is not God, is an evil spirit. This has to be very clearly understood, amen? There is no way you, as a believer, submitted to God, will be desiring worship. What you'll actually find is that the Godhead themselves, even though they ask for worship for the sake of our salvation, you find that the Godhead is looking for ways to give worship to other members of the Godhead. So you're going to find Jesus Christ talking about his dad. You're going to find God talking about his spirit. You're going to find the Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus. And you find this place where they're kind of like playing hot potato and passing the ball around. No one in the Godhead is looking for how to be the center of attraction. There is no one in there. And that is the image and likeness we've been called to, in, we've been called to receive. So if you're receiving that image and likeness of God, there is no desire to usurp authority from God at all. That would have been dealt with a long time ago. In fact, by the time you get to Trump, in fact, by the time you get to Pentecost, amen, the, 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 the requirements of Pentecost demands that some of these things are chopped out of your life. And if you've read, if you studied when we went through all the feasts, when we studied um, the necessity of feasts and things like the, you know, the seven seals being broken, the seven, nor I'm going to smack you, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of wrath, you would know that en route to the completion of each of these processes, these divine operations, there are actually dealings of the spirits of God, amen, that are actually dangerous, amen, to Satan's characteristics, to Satan's virtues, to Satan's, um, 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 I don't know how to phrase this now, amen, but I hope everyone character traits. Amen. This is what I'm trying to emphasize here. Okay, cool. So the book of Revelation, I'm going to read my notes here, is a story about how the seven candlestick churches, amen, the seven here making reference to the fullness. And if you check the seven churches that were described here, they were all Gentile churches. So this is a reference to how the fullness of the Gentiles, amen, they morph, amen, from the fullness of the Gentiles 
into the Ark of the Covenant, but they start off as candlesticks, amen? Meaning that they have partaken of Pentecost. Remember we explained before that Pentecost speaks, amen, of the ministration of the seven spirits of God for the writing of the Testament. Now, when you have received the testimony, what is going to happen to you? You become the Ark of the Covenant, right? The carrier of the testimony, amen? It is very important that we understand that the, the purpose of the tabernacle is to successfully house the testimony. And to do this, the tabernacle functions through many different furniture items, all of them with the end goal of becoming the Ark of the Covenant. I actually have an Ark of the Covenant in my, um, um, right here with me, but it's not within reach right now. I wish I brought it with me. That's a be beautiful um, illustration here to show from how we're meant to change from the menorah to the Ark of the Covenant. That is a story of the book of Revelation. Amen. Now, why is this important? Because, amen. God's desire to come for us to come into his image and likeness, amen, while it was fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and you experience a portion of that, I'm going to say a portion of that, yes, a portion of that when you give life to Jesus Christ, the fullness of that is laid out for us in these seven feasts with a climax on the, you know, with the Feast of Tabernacles, amen. Now, why am I saying all of these things? Because to understand atonement, we must understand the tabernacle. There is no understanding of the Christian journey without understanding all of these, um, 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 will I say now, um, Hebrew, seemingly boring things, amen? There's a perspective or a lens we have to look at these things that would help us see the beauty of these things so that we can, you know, you know turn our face to the reality of them, amen? You can call it forth to reach you. <laughs> I like that. Call I summon the Ark of the Covenant, amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. So, um, and just to show you that what I'm saying is true, the book of Revelations chapter one, amen. I can just, I can just say it, right? Oh, let me, let me, let me just show it to us here. Okay. Revelations chapter one. Um, let's see here. Okay. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants things, which must surely come to pass. He sent and signified them to his angel, to servant John, who bore record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus. It is very important that we see here these two things, right? The word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I'm gonna jump now to verse nine, hallelujah. In verse nine, John said, I who am your brother and companion, hallelujah, your brother and your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience, of Jesus Christ was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is not the reason why he was put in prison. This is what he's describing here, amen, as the reason why the Lord brought him there to receive the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, amen. And the next set of events that take place, amen, are for the purpose of releasing that word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That is why the book at the very end in chapter 19, verse six, it is said a testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Again, pointing to how the Holy Spirit, amen, is all of these feasts from the very beginning with Passover all the way to the very end of tabernacles, amen. When you get to tabernacles, it means that you have been written upon, the marriage has been consummated, and then you've entered into the new age. The tabernacle of God is with men. Hallelujah. So I hope we can see that there. The purpose is getting these candlestick churches. Amen. The book of Revelation, chapter one. You see them, you know, I heard the voice behind me. I'm the Alpha and Omega. Da, 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 da. I looked and I turned and I saw 
seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of them was one like the Son of Man. Amen. That was the angel of the Lord, the avatar of Jesus Christ that, you know, that combined or summarized the operations of God working all these seven churches. And what these seven candlesticks did was they shed light on a port on portions of Jesus Christ that this angel then, you know, manifested, if that makes sense. And each of these seven golden candlesticks had the assignment of morphing into the man-child company. The man-child company, again, is the ark of the covenant. I'm going to show that to us in the Bible very quickly. Amen. Revelations chapter 11. I'm going to read from verse um, 19. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. It says here, the temple of God was open in heaven and there was seen in his temple, the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Now, this is right before you see the vision in Revelation chapter 12, where the Manchild company is more clearly spelt out, right? When it says here, um, I opened up the wrong one, Revelations 12, a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and in pain to be delivered. Amen. That is the man-child company she's about to give birth to. If we keep on reading, we're going to see um, from verse 5, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for understanding. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for understanding. Thank you for counsel. We thank you for mind. We thank you for knowledge. We thank you for the fear of the Lord. May the Spirit of the Lord rest upon us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, it is crucial, amen, that we understand all of these things. Why am I saying this, amen? Because if we just read the book of Revelations just like that, we, you know, without understanding how the tabernacle was meant to function, we might miss the gist of everything happening here. The tabernacle was a substitute for Israel because of Israel's refusal to accept God's priesthood. Amen. What now happened was that Levi was selected. And because Israel refused to go up on the mountain to meet God on Mount Sinai, God spoke with Moses and the wisdom, the impartation that God gave to Moses was for the building of a tabernacle there. What the tabernacle did was the tabernacle captured the Shekinah glory that was on the mountain and brought it down. Basically, the tabernacle was like a, a I, I said this during the Josiah camp, was like a picture or a video of the things that happened on Mount Sinai, right? And they were captured in all of these operations. If Israel, amen, would go through and allow each of the furniture items, talking about the brazen laver, the brazen altar, amen, the, um, the seven golden candlestick, um, the table of shoe bread, the golden altar, and ultimately the mercy seat, amen, if they were to go through all of these operations of the spirits of God, Israel would end up, amen, at the same place that they would have ended up if they went on the mountain. Amen. And God's way of doing that was through the priesthood. Amen. He consecrated Levi for the purpose of administrating, all right, the tabernacle sole purpose to Israel. Amen. So if Israel had, had gone up and fulfilled that, what would have happened is that Israel would have become the tabernacle. The people would have become the tabernacle. And what would have happened is that each of the people in Israel, they would have functioned as different furniture items. You would have seen families, amen? There would have been families that were 
candlestick families, all of them burning with a pillar of fire on their heads. Amen. You'd have seen families that were brazen altar families. Amen. All of them, they look like coals. Amen. You see families that would have been table of shoebread family. Maybe they were all bakers. Amen. I'm sure my sister Joe would love to hear that. Amen. You've seen families that they were um, altar of incense families. Amen. Entire clans, maybe even tribes of Israel dedicated for that purpose. I know this because an entire tribe was given the assignment of managing the entire tabernacle. So God's plan in mind was that families would steward operations of God. That was what God had in mind. And then you'd have seen maybe a clump of people like Moses's that would have become the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. Now, God's desire was not that there would be one Moses, one Moses clan. God's desire is that all of Israel would be swallowed up as Moses. Does that make sense? They would all be written upon with the same intensity that Moses was written upon. Basically, everyone in Israel would also be shining when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, amen? Would be shining like Moses did. Hallelujah, this is God's desire. Now, with this understanding, we can see the tabernacle as a tool for getting people, for processing people, or making people something. Does this make sense? Why is all of this important? Because if we don't understand this, then my explaining that the seven churches, all right, our seven candlesticks, we just... We might not understand what the Bible is saying. For you to be a candlestick church, amen, it means that you are functioning, amen, as a candlestick family. So you're functioning, you and the uh, menorah, you have, the similar, you have a similar function, amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you love, love um, animals that God gave us? Amen. <laughs> All right. So, um, yes, it is very important that we understand all of this, that the tabernacle starting off from the brazen altar, amen, your progression from the altar to the most holy place, amen, is actually a transformation process that we're meant to go through. You don't actually leave the brazen altar until you have become it, amen. This is why um, in, the, in the Christian journey, you're not take adding things and dropping things, you're, you keep on adding faith and brotherly love and kindness, right? And charity and meekness and temperance and all these things en route to the final destination, which is the image and likeness of Christ. We're not just adopting some things for a season and then dropping some, some consecrations. No, no. We are progressively, amen, ref, being refined en route to, the, to conformity with the image and likeness of God or our union with Messiah. Hallelujah. So when you're seeing these seven golden candlesticks, amen, they are meant to morph into a man, the man child company. Now, the reason why I read Isaiah chapter 11, amen, right before I read um, from verse 19, right before I read um, Revelation chapter 12 is because the temple of God is, the temple of God is the woman, amen, that we just saw in Isaiah, in Revelation, sorry, in Revelations, I'm about to open up Isaiah. That's the reason why I said that. In Revelation chapter 12, that woman that was crowned with 12 garlands, um, a, 12, a, a garland of 12 stars, amen, and clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, that woman, amen, is the temple of God, amen. Meanwhile, the Ark of the Testament, amen, is the man child. And I'm going to show that to us very quickly by looking at um, Isaiah 66 from verse six, a voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that renders recompense to his enemies. If you remember 
there were all these voices and lightnings and thunders and all these different things. Okay, there was there was there was a loud noise and lightnings and thunders and voices and an earthquake and great hail in Revelation 11. And here we have a voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that renders recompense his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man child. Can you see how John's visions, they were scripture, amen? They were literally scripture. He just saw the Bible. He saw the Old Testament and the New, right? He saw the fulfillment, amen? Hallelujah. So you're seeing, amen, that the seven golden candlestick churches are meant to become man-child company churches. Does this make sense? This is what the building of the tabernacle is all about. Again, the tabernacle is meant to house the testimony. And we've explained that anyone that is a tabernacle of God, it means you look like God. It also means that you are one with God because there is no looking like God while you are separate from God. That was a lie that Satan told Eve, right? You'll be as God's knowing good and evil. But the way he was showing her was a path away from God. There is no image and likeness of God that brings you into separation from God. That is a lie from the pits of hell. Amen. There is no looking like God that comes with independence from God. The, the more like God you become, the more dependent on God you become because you lose yourself in the process. And what happens is that God begins to take on your necessities. God becomes the air that you breathe. God becomes your heart. God becomes your feet. God becomes your head. God becomes your glory to lift up your head. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. So I'm going to jump through the narrative real quick. After the book of Revelation um, kicks off with that introduction in Revelation chapter 1, um, you go through some instructions by Jesus Christ, explicit instructions directed to each of the seven golden candlesticks that gives them practically, practical instructions, all right, showing them how to go from being candlestick churches to becoming Ark of the Covenant churches, basically going from the holy place to the most holy place. And you will hear instructions. He who overcomes, I will give this. And just to prove that what I'm saying is true, here is something worth noting in the book of Revelations. Amen. If we read the book of Revelations chapter two, for example, you will notice that these things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, Jesus Christ here manifests to each of these churches uniquely. But when he manifested to John, he manifested through like a conglomeration or a cluster or an assembly of all the different tokens, all right, of his appearances to each of these churches. So let's say Jesus Christ appeared to one church as the arm and to another church as the head and to another church as the legs, okay? When he appeared to John, he appeared as the arm with the head with the legs, as a fusion of all of those things. And then he will now begin to speak to all the seven churches uniquely, all right? So that combination avatar of Jesus Christ is now speaking to all of them. I'm not using the term avatar to make reference to any movie or any spiritual principle. The word avatar just means representative, all right? I'm just saying that a, an icon that represents, that, that angel signified Jesus Christ. That angel was not Jesus. If you read Revelation chapter one, it says very clearly that everything was signified by his angel. So that, that person you saw in Revelation one was meant to symbolize Jesus Christ. Okay, let's keep this going. So you're seeing here that the, the, the manifest, manifestation of Jesus Christ in the church in Ephesus was he that holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, it is very important to understand that this appearance of Christ to the seven golden, to the church in Ephesus, amen, this appearance was actually something that they embodied. It was by virtue, by virtue of them 
becoming candlestick churches that they discovered these operations of the spirits of God. They discovered these functionalities of Jesus Christ. So basically what I'm saying here is we beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image. So they have been beholding this operation of Christ and they came into the holy place. Now that person now brought them there is now speaking to them and telling them you must get rid of this. You must get rid of that. You must get rid of this. And he then goes on to explain from verse six, sorry, from verse seven, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now listen very closely, okay? The person I was speaking to this church in Ephesus, amen, was the Lord in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now he's saying, if you will overcome, you are going to partake of the tree of life, all right? And what does that mean? You're not going to eat the tree itself. You're going to eat what? A fruit with seeds, which are produced after their kind. So basically what he's saying is he that overcomes will become like the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. So you're going to go from being in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks to going to the midst of the paradise of God. Does all this make sense? So what Jesus Christ is showing them here is an evolution, amen, or a development, a transformation process, a development of the unction, that operation of the Spirit of God that was delivered to them. It comes to them in phases, just like the seven feasts, right? You progressively complete this one. What is then in front of you is the next phase. So if you, beloved, listen to he that made you, amen, a candlestick, hallelujah, he is going to bring you into the paradise of God. You're going to become like the tree of life. Amen. Let's keep this going. Hallelujah. And uh, let's see here. Today, the church in Smyrna, these things says the first and the last, amen, who was dead and is alive. Okay. So you're seeing the person that's here was dead before, but now he's alive. Look what he says here. He that has, in verse 11, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He that overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So you're seeing that, how would not be hurt by the second death? He was dead before, but now he's alive. But now he's saying now, you will not be hurt by the second death. Does that make sense? So he, there is a measure of, of Christ, amen, that was dead and now he's alive. This one he's saying now, you will not be hurt by death at all. Can you see the progression? Okay, let's keep this party going, okay? It's the angel of the church of Pergamos, man. These things says, um, let me see here. This one might be a little difficult to explain. So I'm going to jump this one here. Okay. Let's jump to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? Flame of fire. Is this more readily available to us? Let's see. Here. Yes. Okay, cool. These things says, ah, this might require too much work explaining. Um, um, should I explain this one? Um, the truth is that all of these things I can show them to you, but please, uh, because of time, I want to jump past the ones that might take too much time to explain. I'll have to go through so many scriptures so that there's plain. I don't even know if what I'm saying right now is even plain to see. <laughs> Amen. It's plain to see to me. I, if I could take more time, I would explain all these things. But I, I am. I want to make sure I'm hitting the nails on the head. Right. Okay. So um, let's see here. Um, let's look at Revelations chapter three. Let's look at verse. You know what? I come quickly. The church, angel of the church in Philadelphia, from verse seven. Okay. 
So the angel church of Philadelphia, right? These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. And he goes on to explain that I have said before you an open door. Well, guess what happens, okay? If you overcome, verse 12, he that overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. If you read on later on in the Bible, you discover that the names, amen, of the um, 12 tribes of Israel are actually upon the doorposts. So you're seeing here, all right, he's taking you, hallelujah, from being a church, amen, with the key, all right, to the house of David to now becoming that house. Does that make sense? So you're not just a key, you are now the door. Does that make sense? You are not the key that opens the door. Now, now you are the door itself. Does all this make sense? Okay, more evolution stories incoming. Another church here is the Church of Laodicea. Let's see here. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So let's look at that one. So verse 14, let's look at that real quick. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And look at what happens here. Him that overcomes, I will grant with him to sit on my throne, even as I also overcame, I am sat down, sit, sat, sat down with my father on his throne. So basically the creator of the universe, you are going to be sitting with him. I hope everyone has seen the picture here, this picture of development, okay? From candlestick churches, to Ark of the Covenant churches, from candlestick churches to testament churches. That is what the book of Revelation is all about. Hallelujah. And to do this, amen, the invitation comes, amen, to everyone that is partaking of the Feast of Pentecost. What is the Feast of Pentecost all about, amen? It is for you, child of God, to be written upon. Remember everything we said before? Remember the illustration we have? Actually, I have my iPad right here. But I don't think I'm going to need it because of the way we're going. Amen. The purpose of Pentecost, amen, is that or where did Pentecost first happen? It was at Mount Sinai. Amen. At Mount Sinai, the children of Israel, amen, they were invited to come up on the mountain where they would be inscribed upon, where the testimony will be written. Amen. And if the testimony has been successfully written upon you, you are now the Ark of the Covenant, and together, collectively, you form the tabernacle of God. I hope everyone understands what I've said so far. Amen. This is what Pentecost is all about. Amen. So that invitation on Pentecost, amen, is to receive the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, right? We said this already, right? To receive the inscription of the finger of God, to receive the seven spirits of God. Again, we have all of these things on the inside of us as new creation saints, amen? But what happens during the Feast of Pentecost, hallelujah, is that you now begin to experience the things that are inside of you as a new creation saint. Many of us, all we can do is describe what can happen. God can do anything, amen? God can do anything, God can do anything, God can do anything. When you see God doing something, it is very different from when you are saying that God can do anything. I hope what I'm saying making sense. Like Job said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, all right? But now my eyes see you and I repent, amen? I turn, basically I cover myself with ashes, as in 
half of the matter wasn't even told me, basically. Queen of Sheba's testimony. Hallelujah. So the purpose of this encounter is to see the law, the book of life, the transcript of who we are in Christ Jesus, or the testimony of Jesus. This is how the tabernacle is built. And this is what makes us an ark. The priesthood and the ark are the subject matters of the book of Revelation. And I need to explain all of these things before the day of atonement is understood. Because when you have been written upon in your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is the shouting of the Feast of Trumpets. Now, immediately after trumpets comes atonement, the day of atonement. And to understand this, we need to look at the book of Revelation again from a different perspective. We looked from the first, first time we went through the book of Revelation, we looked at it um, um, as a picture of why we need to partake of the seven feasts of God. But now we're going to be looking at it now as the building of the tabernacle, okay? So I'm gonna run through some scriptures here. The tabernacle is where the Lord's name is found, amen? Now you're going to see this in Exodus chapter 20 from verse 24. Hallelujah. Let's see if I can find. Um, um, no. Okay, well, let's start with this first. Yes, start with this first. So the tabernacle, amen. The tabernacle is a glorified altar unto God, right? An altar of earth, amen. What did God make man out of? Dust of the ground, right? Okay, there's an allusion to that right there. An altar of earth you shall make unto me, and you shall sacrifice there, thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto you and I will bless you. So the places, amen, where the blessing is given, amen, are places where God has put his name. Guess what the priesthood, amen, of Leviticus is all about. Amen. If you read Numbers chapter 6, this is how Aaron and his son shall bless the people of Israel. And they're going to bless them on the day of atonement from the tabernacle. Amen. So 1 Kings chapter 9 from verse 3. Amen. I'm trying to show us, amen, that the tabernacle is where the Lord put his name. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. This is God speaking about Solomon's temple. Basically, Solomon went through a lot of rituals as instructed by his father for the inauguration of the temple of Solomon that was designed by David. Amen. Now, after he went through all the, all the rituals, they went through all the sacrifices, all the killing of oxen and everything, what happens that God appeared in the Shekinah glory as he did in the tabernacle of Moses. And look at what God said, I will put my name here, basically. Okay? And, okay? Um, let me see here. To put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Hallelujah. Can we see that? So basically, if the book of Revelation is all about getting us to becoming like tabernacles, there should be, amen, a, a mention or a discussion about the name of the Lord being put upon the tabernacle of God. Now, the tabernacle of God is not a building, amen? The Ezekiel the temple in the book of Ezekiel that was captured, there was a prophetic picture of the New Testament church, specifically the Manchild Company, the church of the age to come, amen? That church is not an edifice. The book of Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is not a, a description of an edifice, all right? There's no architect building anything. There is no city of God coming out from the sky. There's no physical municipal coming out from the sky. What would be emerging, amen, from God, amen, is the culture of God carried by people, amen. 
the culture of God, the likeness of God, the image of God. That is the tabernacle of God. That is the city of God. That is the temple of God. Amen? People. And we can see this in the scriptures, right? Ephesians chapter 1 from verse, um, let's see here, from verse 13. Look at what Paul said here. In Christ you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Amen. So the Holy Spirit does the work of sealing us. Amen. In Revelation 7 from verse 3, it says here, hurt not the earth, neither seen of the tree, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. Amen. Later on in the book of Revelation, we go on to discover that the sealing is with the name of the Lord. Amen. And the name, the number of God or the number of the ceiling is 144,000. 144,000 is the number of people. Amen. It is actually the name or the number of the name of God. Amen. There are many operations in the Bible. There's a number of God's throne. There's a number of the angels that surround the throne. There's a number of Satan. Amen. There's other prophetic numbers scattered all throughout scriptures. There's a number of the Holy Spirit. There's a number of the spirits of the Lord. Amen. And you see all of these all throughout the scriptures. But the number designated, amen, for the completion of the, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, is 144,000. That is God being made manifest in creation. Hallelujah. And we, we're going to see that right here. The fulfillment is captured in Revelation chapter 14 from verse 1. And I looked, and behold, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name, written in their foreheads that beloved amen is the picture of the tabernacle of god it is very crucial that we understand that these things are prophetic visions speaking of realities that we are meant to experience hallelujah i'm going to end with this last thing here okay because all of this is initiated from the hill of the lord amen and without understanding the purpose of the hill of the lord or that theme that reoccurs all throughout scripture, we might miss the main gist of everything, amen? So this hill of the Lord was introduced in the book of Adam. I have, I have the verses written right here. So Exodus chapter three, Bible says here, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Jethro's name was um, the biological name given to the priest of Midian, but the name that God gave him or the operation of God that he stewarded was Reuel or rule, okay? And that means friend of God. If you check later on, that's what um, Moses came into. Moses spoke with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. The only other person that spoke with God in that intensity as recorded in scripture explicitly was Abraham, another priest unto God. Amen. And we know that because of the blessing that Melchizedek gave to him. Hallelujah. Moses kept the flock of, J of Jethro or Reuel, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Hallelujah. This principle of coming to Horeb is what everyone that partakes of Pentecost is being brought to. Pentecost is you being brought to Horeb. Amen. And there you experience the fires, the seven fires of the spirits of God, of the spirits of the Lord. Amen. It is from this you become a candlestick church. Now, as the writing process is taking place, you are then being rebranded, transformed, refined. Amen morphed developed into the ark of the covenant where the testimony has been written upon you amen so that is uh moses personal experience in exodus chapter 3 we have israel's corporate experience in exodus chapter 19 i'm not going to go there 
We know about what happens in Exodus 19, right? That is when God descends upon Mount Sinai. I've already gone into this several times. Explain all of this, amen. Exodus 19 and 20 details this encounter, amen. Um, basically, what was meant to happen is when the trumpet sounded long, Israel would come up into the mountain and there they would feast and dine with God. And that feasting and dining with God is where their spiritual senses, their hearts would be exposed to God and God would begin to ravage their soul and uproot inconsistencies with his laws. Basically, the law of the spirit of life will be written upon us as we ascend into Mount Zion. As a believer now today, you can partake of this, amen, by making decisions to deny ungodly influences into your life. There are consecrations, that's the offering of the Feast of Pentecost that you must come into that brings you to the place where your heart is vulnerable only to God. Amen. If you are interested in this, you can talk to God. God will give you specific things because God knows the influences that are speaking to you. Amen. And God will tailor, amen, plagues specifically for those influences. And as you minister to God, you're going to receive the first plague, the second plague, the third plague until you come to the operation of the finger of God. When that happens, all of those voices will be silenced in your life. So that's where God will tell you, forgive that person, love that person, stop doing this thing, stop watching this TV show, go on a fast, go on this retreat, do this, give to this ministry, do this, this, this. and all what is ha happening here, there's all these painful experiences, amen, where you are drying up, amen, the normal um, 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 obations you give to idols in your life. As you deny all of these things, what now happens to you is that if you understand the reason why this is happening, you can joyfully give up these things and then jump into God, and what will happen there is that you find yourself on Mount Zion, amen? That's the uh, narrative we see in Hebrews chapter 12. So continuing from this narrative, we're going to see someone else that encountered this mountain top experience, and his name is Elijah. We're going to start from verse 9. Hallelujah. Huh. Why am I here? Okay, okay, I'm, I'm referencing. Um, before I get to Elijah, I'm looking here. There was nothing in the ark save the two tablets of stone, which Moses put there in Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. I don't even know why on earth I put that. Okay, Horeb. Yes, Mountain of Horeb. I, I put that in there because that was a reference to when Israel came out of Mount Sinai. So in 1 Kings chapter 19 from verse 8, we see Elijah. Again, if you have questions, do not be afraid to ask. Amen? Hallelujah. This is, um, Mama spoke about this yesterday during um, Open Book. Elijah's experience where the angel Lord appeared to him and he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of, strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights onto Horeb, the mountain of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Hallelujah. So Elijah had his mountaintop experience where he experienced um, being branded upon. Please upload the message. My head is... <laughs> <laughs> hallelujah i have some encouraging words i just saw now <laughs> revelations chapter 14 the message is live on um it's going to be live on it's already live on our facebook page by the way um and i will make this message message available on on youtube as well okay so here is the next set of individuals that are on the mountain okay a lamb to the mount zion with him hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads Amen. This theme of mountaintop experiences, amen, is what Pentecost is all about. 
Pentecost brings you to the mountain. If you partake of Pentecost, that means you have begun to climb up into the mountain. Amen. It is that invitation. It is your kiddushin, right? Your invitation into the mountain with God. That is where you experience your marriage covenant, your union with God. Amen. Your name change and so many other things we described um, last week when we spoke about Pentecost. Amen. So what are the things that are required for, I'm just, I'm doing a lot of Bible reading here, right? Exodus 19 from verse 10, the things required for access to the mountain. I'm going to read from verse 10 through 15, okay? And then we'll be able to round up. Once I'm finished with the requirements, we can end um, today. Then um, I'll explain why we're not finishing or not jumping straight into tabernacles right away. The Lord said to Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, for the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people of Mount Sinai. And they should sell bounds to the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go up not into the mountain, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through with a dart. It shall not live. But when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up to the mountain. And Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready against the third day. Do not come near your wives or keep away from your idols. Amen. So basically, what's happening here is God detailed to um, the children of Israel to keep the Feast of Pentecost. There are consecrations necessary for you to partake of this feast. You don't passively partake of Pentecost. Pentecost is beyond being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a beautiful part of your Christian experience and also a beautiful part of Pentecost. But beyond that infilling of the Holy Spirit is the giving of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that speaks about a measure, amen, of access that the Spirit of God has to your soul. Amen. This access is necessary to partake of the Feast of Pentecost. Without this access, there is no Feast of Pentecost. Instead, the feast remains dormant on the inside of you as a record of God's life, which is sealed to you. Amen. Hallelujah. So that is um, an example of that requirement. We're going to see now in Psalms chapter 24. Amen. This is a theme that we read about a lot, but um, this is going to give us a more practical picture of what all of these things are. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place. So can you see how the holy place is brought into the picture here? Amen. Can you see how the hill of the Lord, Mount Sinai, is brought into the picture again? So you can see that the mountaintop experience, the holy place, the candlestick, they're all in the same vicinity. These are all speaking about the same thing. We're going by functionality, not by form. And so in the scripture, we have to be able to discern that, okay, the mountain and the candlestick, huh? Amen. Hallelujah. Pentecost, we're all saying the same thing. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to keep this going because of time. He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Here is the consecration. Clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. I'm going from verse 3 through 6. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, that seek thy face, seek thy face, O God of Jacob. So the people that partake of this feast, they're not trying to partake of the feast. They are trying to, hear me out, okay? They're not just going to just partake of Pentecost. 
they're interested in the face of God. That was the vision I saw last time we were together about the person looking at the mirror and not being able to see the face. Amen. He is looking for the face of God in his face. Is everyone listening? He couldn't see the face of God in his face. So he's looking with basically you are um, peering through. Uh, the Bible says that Moses, Moses, um, Kai, Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. That is the vision. I think this unction of this Moses witness is for us to become seekers of the face of God. I feel that very strongly. That vision yesterday was very shocking. It really startled me. I didn't know what I was seeing. It looked, it looked, the word is tribalistic. The person had writings all over their body, all over their skin. It looked almost like, a, like these anime characters when they are activated or triggered or whatever. The person's hair was glowing with fire, but the face was dark and it required a, a peering through to be able to see who the person was. Amen. And that's what God has for us. That's what's Moses unction. Those that seek his face is a verse that says, I will seek. Come on, come on. Who hides his face from Jacob? Isaiah chapter eight. That's right. Let me, I know I'm, this is not captured explicitly. Ah, beautiful. Bind up the testimony. Beautiful, beautiful. Seal the law among my disciples. I will wait upon the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. He then goes on to say, these children are, Lord has given me out for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Please, I hope everyone can see that picture there, okay? We actually have to wait on the Lord. We have to seek the Lord. So Pentecost is a season that comes, amen, as a consequence of pursuit. If you are pursuing the face of God, if you want to look like Jesus, if you want your mat, that, this thing on the inside of you to come out, you are looking for Pentecost. Amen? That is the first step en route, amen, to that mountain. On the mountaintop, he shall be seen. There is so much in the Bible about this, man. Like, just saying these words, I'm just getting, like, triggers of Bible verses. I'm going to stay with my notes because of time. I'm going to end with this. Revelation chapter 14, from verse 4 through 5 making reference to the 144,000 that were on the Mount, Mount Zion with the Lamb. If you don't understand anything I'm saying, all you have to do, amen, is when this meeting has finished, go on Facebook. We're live on Facebook right now, amen. Go on Facebook, get your Bible out, all right? Get, get a notebook out and begin to take notes. Whenever I quote a scripture, press pause, read through that scripture, pray in the Holy Spirit if you have to, amen. The reason why people don't pray, I feel like people do not spend enough time praying over the scriptures. If I tell you what my prayer time consists of, most of my prayer is engaging the scriptures. That's all I do. I rarely, I have prayer points for some things in the Lord. But when I'm praying for things in God, when I have a prayer point, I'm just going to get a Bible verse. Let's say I'm praying for maybe my business or I'm praying for, for my life, my future. I'm going to open the Bible. When I see what God has said about my life, my life is in Christ and God. Lord, I want that to be manifested. And I keep on praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I get something in the scriptures and I keep on praying and I pray and I keep on praying and I pray. Hope everyone understands what I'm saying. All right, let's keep this going. Hallelujah. So concerning the 144,000, please, if you don't understand, go on Facebook, check this out. You can press pause. This is more on, this is that, that is on demand. This is live. 
and it's not at your prerogative. Is that the right, right way to say it? Okay. These are they that were not defiled with women. Remember when, when the Bible says, keep away from your wives in Exodus 19, all right? The wives there, amen, um, are the harlots that Babylon is a mother of, right? Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, right? And abominations of the world, amen? They were not defiled by these abominations for they are virgins. Hmm. These are they that follow the lamb wheresoever he goes. Hmm. They were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. In their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, this is for, this is the requirement. This is what happens to you after you have stood on the mountaintop with the Lord. Amen. Those virtues, which are inside of every one of us right now. Amen. They become fruits. I'm always talking about fruitfulness, right? Fruit bearing, right? They become fruits, amen, that people can pluck up and testify that God is good. I like what the Bible says in Matthew 5, right? Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We have this light on the inside of us, beloved. We have these feasts. We have these virtues. We have these fruits on the inside of us, amen? But God wants them to come out. If you are interested, we have that face of Jesus, amen? If you want that face of Jesus to come out, you must be interested. It's not that, and you don't have to use the language I'm using. This is something else I, I think would help people. I use words like the seven feasts and this and this and this. I'm just using what the Bible calls it, amen? <laughs> there might be a more um, informal term that God might give, give use in dialogue with you, amen? But you're going to, the reason why I need to use about biblical terms is because the standard of what qualifies as a feast is laid out in the scripture. So why would I use a different term? We're speaking, we want to speak with a common language, right? And the scripture is, this is where our, this is our subject matter, right? This is the book of life, amen? This is where we get all our treasures from. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to stop right there. So we're going to continue next week. Hallelujah. Um, Pastor Francis Seabor, um, 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 gave me um, leeway to make sure I properly flesh out that I shouldn't try and rush over everything per se, but I should take time out to make sure I flesh out all of these feeds because I wanted to end everything today. And if I did that, all I'd have done was like, kind of like drove by atonement and jumped into the tabernacle. But because of permission had been given, um, he wants to make sure that I fully explain this before um, we end this series, amen. So um, forgive me if we're taking a while before we explain atonement. I want us to understand why does Jesus Christ have to come back physically? It seems to be so random. I'll be honest with you, if you study the scriptures very carefully, there doesn't seem to be a reason why he has to come back physically to the earth until you understand that what is happening is the building of the tabernacle of God. Then a lot of things begin to make sense. It might not make sense right now because what the tabernacle is these things we've we've so departed from them in most of gent most gentile church most gentiles as in when i say gentile church i mean churches that are not jewish amen and because of that we don't even know what all these things mean the old testament is just a bunch of stories okay they used to kill animals before but we jesus christ has come so let's kill animals uh -huh, please where's the money that's the summary of many christians life jesus christ has come god uh, i don't have sickness i don't have disease my money that's it i'm going to heaven yes i'm so saved love some people you know, ignore some other things in my life. And basically, just that is not what God has called us to. We are called to be the image and likeness of Jesus. Amen. And to get to this place, some things have to happen to us. 
please, we still need more explanations, though. Sure thing. Amen. But I'm going to end today's session. All right. Please. Um, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us. Amen. This is a good chunk of your time I spent. Well, if not for the issues in the beginning, I feel like that kind of got me ruffled up a bit or whatever, but over an hour, um, breaking all these things down. I want to thank you so much for your patience, by the way, and staying with us despite the connection issues we had in the beginning. Amen. And braving through this while. I know it's not an easy thing. This is one of your, this is an evening you swallowed up. Amen. An hour of an evening, that, that costs a lot. So I want to, you know, really thank you, appreciate you for doing that, for giving that time to the Lord. You're not giving that time to me. Amen. I don't get anything by you being here. Amen. You're the one that is gaining. Amen. Uh, amen. I'm saying that very importantly. Amen. If, you do, if you're able, if you're doing this to encourage me, Please change your motives. You're going to do yourself a lot of good by changing your motives because your reward, amen, is fulfilled if that is the reason why you're here, just to make me happy. But the actual goal should be to become like Jesus. Please make sure you refine your motives for doing things. Otherwise, you keep on, you become a master of that motive and you'll be able to successfully be in the midst of a move of God and you remain untouched because of impure motives. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, beloved. Pastor Francis Seabrook sends his greetings. And on behalf of the entire Kim Doolin community, I want to tell you, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful time um, hearing the word for now. I put a flyer on the screen. And um, we are uh, continuing, again, with that trajectory from our most recently concluded conference. But um, ahead of us, we have our um, Festival of Lights, amen. Hanukkah is happening um, December period, and we're having our Immersion Teen and Youth Conference. Please register. This is going to be a blast. Um, you know, Mama said that it's going to be a teaching conference, and that is so true. But honestly speaking, I am expecting an explosion on a scale hitherto unseen at the Immersion. We've seen some crazy things, but I know what I am saying. I know exactly what I am saying. It is going to be very explosive. The things I've been seeing during meetings, I've been seeing the Lord backing them up. Amen. And so I know that this immersion is going to be explosive for me and for the young people that will be coming. It's up to you also to decide how it's going to be. Amen. So again, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, we have our watches um, tomorrow morning from 6 to 7. And at, from 7, 7 till 7.30, we're praying for Nigeria. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, beloved. Um, this has been a wonderful time. In the presence of God, I really hope you're getting to understand these feasts a little bit more. Amen. Jesus loves you. Thank you, Auntie Doing. Jesus loves you, and bye-bye. <laughs>